All right, would you join me in prayer? God, thanks for this time. Use these words for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just a friendly reminder, um, nursery and tweens are welcome to go to your ministry areas. So if you're in the tween ministry, you can head out for your Sunday school. If you are in the nursery, you probably can't understand what I'm saying. But parents, you're welcome to take your kids to nursery. Uh, hey, as we start, want to just say thank you for being here this morning. Um, this doesn't happen a whole lot, but every once in a while, because we're a church that is building out our ministries and getting stronger in all these different areas, we do have the opportunity to worship together as a church family. And we mentioned this earlier, but I just want to reiterate this. We are so grateful to have kids in our church. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've been a part of churches where kids were a novelty, uh, where it was remarkable to have a child come and be a part of our community, to be a part of our worship. Uh, it's incredible. It really is. And it is our opportunity to steward the gift that's been given to us. This is true across Bethany locations. You'd be hard-pressed to find a Bethany church that doesn't have a very high proportion of kids to adults. Like, at some of our locations, it's like almost double. It's crazy. But our kids are a vital resource. They are a vital part of what it means to be the church together. So I know for some coming in here today, there's a little bit of consternation. I know there's even a little bit of frustration around this, and I understand What I want to say is, thank you for coming anyways, and thank you because by worshiping together, we model together as adults a way of life for our kids that they need to see. Like, they need to see us worshiping together. They need to see us praying. They need to see us doing these things, not because we're going to demonstrate it perfectly, but because every one of us, even if you don't have kids physically in the room, has an opportunity to witness through our lives to the kids that are around us. So we're going to do a teaching today. We're going to have a chance to respond. It is all going to be uh, both kid-friendly and grown-up friendly, I promise. Uh, So we'll talk. Kids, I'll give you some prompts about some stuff to draw. I'll ask some questions. We'll keep it simple. Uh, And then we'll have a chance to respond together in a way that I think is going to be really powerful. Uh, Again, uh, wiggle room. If you need wiggle room, head to my right, your left, kind of that area. Please don't go over to where Inglewood has their lovely table set up. So today we're talking about Genesis kind of 1, 2, and 3, a really kind of high flyover. The only reason we can attempt to do this is because there's this wonderful book out there called the Jesus Storybook Bible. How many of you have this at home? Okay, the rest of you, I'm getting this for you. Like, this is an amazing resource. It's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. She attends uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And if you read this book and you have a pulse, you will cry. It is so beautifully written, and it depicts the story of salvation, of God's love for us, in ways that make sense to adults and kids, but that will touch your heart. I guarantee it. And I'm probably going to get choked up as we read different parts of it today. So we heard the reading just a moment ago. Ryan read that for us from a regular Bible. The Jesus Storybook Bible is kind of like the message. It's a paraphrase, but it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's different. And we'll hear from that in just a little while. So kids, I want to start off by inviting you to draw something special. I want you to draw the person sitting next to you. And if it's your mom or your dad, make them look really good. So draw the person sitting next to you. Here's why. When Ryan read that passage for us a moment ago, we heard about how God did two things. God made everything and God made people. So can you guys say those two things with me? God made everything. Let's say that together. God made everything and God made people. Say that with me. God made people. God made everything. God made people. And people are awesome most of the time. 
But Jesus' storybook Bible tells us that this, this act of creation was incredibly powerful. It was something that God did out of love. So listen to this. This will be up on the screen as well. This is kind of summarizing a familiar story that many of us have probably heard from Genesis. God gets to the end of creation. He's made the heavens and the earth. And it says this, God saw all that he had made and he loved them. And they were lovely because he loved them. Isn't that a great turn of the phrase? But God saved the best for last. From the beginning, God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share this forever happiness. They would be his children and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. And God loved them with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. You can hear how special people are. You can hear the joy and the pride in God's heart. We're made in God's image. That's kind of what Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says. We have a special place in God's heart. He breathed into us. That's Genesis 2, 7. And here's the reason that that something special happens when God makes people. God makes people with the ability to do something that nothing else in creation can do. Nothing else that God created can change and become more like God over time. More like the image of God. More capable of things like compassion and justice and love and mercy. It's really just people that have that responsibility. There's a passage from 2 Corinthians that talks about this. Uh, and this will be up on the screen as well. So all of us who had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his image. We're changed into his image. Nothing else in creation is like that. Only people are like that. If you want to kind of picture this, uh, my wife is uh, catching up on some projects And one of the things she's catching up on is making baby books for each of our kids. Some of you have done this. When your kid's born, you get all the pictures together that you can, and you make this book that kind of remembers them. If you ask your mommy and daddy about it, if they look guilty, don't keep asking them about it. They may have it for you, and they're just waiting to share it with you. Who knows? But it's a wonderful thing because you see pictures of your kids when they're first born. And a lot of you that don't have kids, you can see this. Your parents still have this. There's pictures of you when you were little, 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 little. And there's this, this glimpse, there's this glimmer of who you are going to become. So my wife was working on our middle daughter Hadley's baby book. When, ba- when Hadley was first born, she didn't have blonde hair like she does now. She had kind of bluish eyes, but they weren't quite as blue as they are now. But you can just see in her face, even as a little baby with the mushy face and the baby fat and all that kind of thing, oh, that's who she's going to become. That's who she's growing to be. And some of you that have kids have already seen this happen. Slowly over time, we become who we're supposed to be, both inside and out. That is a miracle that God does. So what did we learn just a second ago? God made everything and God made people. Can you say that with me? God made everything, God made people, and God makes us more like him over time. That is one of the miracles that God expresses in us. But then something happened. Something happened next that was really difficult. This is a hard part of the story to share. And so I'm going to invite Ryan uh, to come and read this next part of the story. Before he does that, though, I want you to picture something really beautiful. There's a beautiful garden where the first human beings, Adam and Eve, get to live. 
It's the Garden of Eden. I kind of think it looks like Bouchard Gardens up in Victoria. Who all has been there, right? Just this beautiful, lush place with water and flowers. It's gorgeous. But then something happens there. And while Ryan is reading this, kids, I'd like you to draw a beautiful garden. Draw a garden with flowers. Draw something that you know is really pretty. And Ryan's going to read this for us so we can kind of picture it. So go ahead, Ryan. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home. And everything was perfect for a while. Until the day when everything went wrong. God had a horrible enemy. His name was Satan. Satan had once been the most beautiful angel, but he didn't want to be just an angel. He wanted to be God. He grew proud and evil and full of hate, and God had to send him out of heaven. Satan was seething with anger and looking for a way to hurt God, looking for a way to hurt God. He wanted to stop God's plan, stop this love story right there. So he disguised himself as a snake and waited in the garden. Now, God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on the tree. God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me. And then death and sadness and tears will come. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat the nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all. And you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked up the fruit and ate some. And Adam ate some too. And a terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. It's a really sad part of the story. The snake, this, this creature, it told a lie. And the lie was, God doesn't love you. So guys, if you're drawing something, can you just draw a snake, a really big snake? I don't like snakes, so don't share it to me, otherwise I might get scared. God doesn't love you. How do we know that this is a lie? We know it's a lie because of what we just read. That God made human beings. Remember, he looked at them. The first thing they saw was God's face. God loved them. God made everything. God made people. And here's the truth, guys. God only makes things that he loves. He only makes things that he loves. He doesn't make things to create pain or to cause hatred. He makes things that he loves. And because he loves us, we know that that lie isn't true. But the snake said it. Adam and Eve doubt the truth. And you guys, I mean, this word doubt, this, this is kind of a funny word because it can be a good thing and a bad thing. Sometimes it's important to doubt things. Like how many of you have ever watched something on YouTube and you went, okay, that wasn't real. Like, it's important to be able to doubt certain things, like stuff that we might read or that we're not sure about. But doubt can also cause us pain. And when Adam and Eve started to doubt, does God love me, it caused pain. And that's not the kind of doubt that we think is good or important. If we start to think that God doesn't love us, it causes the deepest pain that there is. And so we want to stay stay away from this type of doubt, but it's just going to happen sometimes. 
And we need to trust that God is able to show us the truth even in the middle of our doubts. But this is a big deal that Adam and Eve believe this. So Ryan's going to come up again and read one more passage for us about what this caused in people and especially what this caused in God. And I want you all to listen for the feeling words that happen when God hears this. What have you done? God asked. Eve said, the serpent made me do it. And a terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him. And now he knew everything would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to live forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever, not in such pain, not without him. There was only one way to protect them. You'll have to leave the garden now, God told his children, his eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. It's a really sad moment. So if you're drawing, I would like for you to draw a heart. Uh, Maybe draw something that, you know, hurts your heart or has hurt someone else's heart. God's heart is broken in this moment. God actually feels when there is pain in the lives of people he loves, and this caused him the deepest pain. And you know why your heart hurts sometimes? Your heart hurts because you love someone or you love something, and something bad happened to it. Like the deepest kind of hurt that we can feel is always when it's with something that we love, someone that we really care about, something that really matters deepest to us. So God's heart hurt in this moment because the people that he created, they chose not to trust him and they chose not to accept his love. And now things have to change. Now they have to move. Now something different has to happen. And it's a really hard part of the story, but it's true. And it's in the Bible, so it must be true. So now we've got to talk about what we can do, right? There's a problem, but now we need to talk about what we can do about it. And the short answer is there's not a lot we can do about this problem of sin and of God's heartbreaking. But just to review really quick, God made everything. Say it with me. God made everything. God made people. And God loves people. Can you say that with me? God loves people. And so we chose to turn away from God, even though he loves us, And the people's hearts are broken too. God's heart is broken because the people have wandered away. Our hearts are broken too. And that's what the Bible calls sin, is whenever we experience this broken heart, this fracturing, this kind of moving away from God wants. Things we do or don't do that break God's heart or that messes up the world, that's part of what we experience as sin. And guys, you don't have to be that old to understand what this looks like. If you're trying to make a new friend at school and your new friend says, hey, let's meet up and play together during recess, and then they don't show up, or they pretend like they haven't talked to you before, that's something that hurts your heart. And that's something that is a result of sin, a result of something that happened a long time ago. Ask the grown-ups around you, what does sin look like? They'll have some stories to tell you. Like, it's a real thing. 
There are tons of examples of this. And the biggest thing we all need to know is we can't just fix it. So my kids are at the age where uh, they are really interested in breakfast. And there are certain things that they can make for themselves for breakfast that I don't have to be there to help with. A very limited number of things. Like my kids can't make my coffee for me in the morning. I dream of that day, but not yet. But they can pull waffles out of the freezer. They can find the toaster. They can put that out on the table. They can't make the waffle, but they can take the waffle from the freezer and kind of warm it up for themselves. There are things that none of us can do to fix this problem of sin. There are little things that we can do. We can read our Bibles. We can pray. We can try to kind of get better in our hearts. But the biggest thing we can know about sin is that we can't fix it by ourselves. My kids can't make a good breakfast for themselves without me. We cannot fix the problem of sin by ourselves. And so the thing that we actually have to do is ask for help. Ask Jesus for help. That's one very practical thing. You can write that down. Ask Jesus for help. When you're stuck on something, when you're trying to make friends, when you feel like you're fighting a lot with your siblings. I had two brothers and a sister growing up. We fought a lot. I get it. If it's hard to make friends, if it's hard to concentrate in school, ask Jesus for help. John 14, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you so that the Father is glorified. That's true for grown-ups. That's true for kids. So ask Jesus for help. And then look out for these lies. Remember the lie that the snake told to Adam and Eve? The lie was, God doesn't love you. There are so many different variations on that. There are so many different ways that lies try to sneak into our lives. But we know what's true. And you can always say no to a lie by saying what's true. Jesus did this when he was tempted in the wilderness. And we can do this too. We know God made everything. We know God made people. We know God loves people. And whenever we're confronted with something that isn't true, we can say the things that are true. But it's important for us to be able to admit the things that are hard in our lives to God because that's one of the ways that we can ask Jesus for help. So we're all going to do something in just a minute that's going to involve us getting up and moving up here to the front of the sanctuary kind of one at a time. And it's going to be a way for us to name the things that we think may have been lies in our lives or maybe things that we're just struggling with right now that are hard, things that we experience as sin. So everybody's going to get a little note card and there's pens and the pew racks. We're going to hand those out. Um, If I could have a few people come up and hand out these note cards and these pens right up here on the front row, that'd be great. And everybody, adults and kids, we're going to be able to talk. It's okay to make a little bit of noise here in a sec. And I want you, hang on, Josiah, it's going to come to you. One of the things I want you to write down is a way that you're struggling or something that you know isn't true. Everybody can experience something like that. So I want you to write that down. Talk about it with your mom and dad. Talk about it with your grandparents. It's okay to talk when I tell you to. And then everybody's going to come up and there are two baskets right up here on the table. And I want you to come up and just put whatever you wrote down in those baskets. It's just a way to say, look, God, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. It could be something big you have coming up at work. It could be a conversation you're having in your family that's really hard. It could be a feeling that you have that you don't know what to do with. You can write something down, put it on that card, fold it. No one's going to read it. No one's going to come review it. And put it in one of those two baskets up there and then go back to your seats. Julia is going to play quietly while we do this. And then we're going to have one more reading from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Any questions? Okay, you guys can talk for just a little bit, and then when you're ready, make your way up the middle row, come put stuff in the baskets, and then head back to your seats on the sides, okay? 
the front and put uh, these notes in the baskets. Again, this can have anything you want on it. A confession, something that you're struggling with, something that's painful. Parents, please do come with your kids when they come up, or you can come with me. You ready? Come on, Ellie. And we're going to put our notes in these baskets. That was really powerful to see all of you come up and do that, so thank you for doing that. I want to encourage you uh, later on, uh, maybe it's later in the day or before you go to bed tonight, just talk about what you wrote down. Uh, In my family, before we have a meal, we say something that we're grateful for, um, but it might also be a good discipline for us to say, this is something that I feel like I'm struggling with or that's hard. Uh, We need to be able to have those conversations too as a family. Uh, Another suggestion, as you came in, you should have been given this handout that says Identity Truths on it. These are just statements of scripture that we need to know by heart because these will replace any lies with the truth. This is the truth. I am set apart. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm a co-laborer with Christ. These are things that everybody's heart in here needs to hear. And so those are available to you as a resource. If you want more of them, they're in the welcome boxes. We want you to be able to replace the lies with the truth. And so for all of us, uh, that's another resource. So we know that God loves us. He made the whole world. He made people special. And then this terrible thing happened where these lies came into the world. But God loves us too much to just leave us in the midst of those lies and say, good luck, I hope you figure it out. God gives us something more. And this is one of the reasons I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's always pointing toward this day when there's this rescuer, when there's the king, when there's the one who comes. And so I'd like for you to hear this with me as we hear God's power. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day he would get his children back. One day he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'm going to get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And one day he would. One day, God himself would come. This is the promise, church. And it's the promise we get to declare to one another, young and old, day in and day out, that Jesus Christ has come to rescue sinners. And so no matter where we have come in this morning, no matter how we leave, know that this is true. One day has arrived, and it is that day when the Savior came. And that day when he takes control of each of our lives and gives us hope and gives us purpose, that is the day that we really start living. And so whatever fears you may have written down, whatever burdens you are carrying, know that Jesus knows those intimately well. And he will meet you in that. He is promised and he keeps his promises. Let's pray together. 
Gracious God, we're thankful that your promises are true. We're thankful for this place to be reminded that your promises are true. And as we um, stand again to sing and as we give you praise now, may we do so from a deeper place because we've heard just how lost and broken things are, how broken we are. And we've had a chance to kind of write that down. And now, God, may your forgiving, rescuing grace wash over us and cleanse us and set us free, every adult, every kid. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the Savior. Amen.